welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. In nomine Domini, qui feci celum terum. <laughs> welcome to Lenten episode number two of Catholic Stuff You Should Know. This is Father Mike, and this is Father Sean. Um, is this Lenten episode number two? I just said that, but um, I don't think we'll publish it as number two. Well, it's not the title of the podcast, but Jacob, Deacon Jacob. That's right. We got to get used to that. Deacon Jacob and I recorded a podcast on Ash Wednesday, actually, that comes out this Thursday. All right. So this will be number two or number three, I guess. There's two options for um, ashes on Ash Wednesday. What's mm-hmm. your uh, pick your poison? What is it? Remember, man, that you are dust and dust you shall Remember return. that, yeah, exactly. I, I do... Um, What's this, the other one? Repent. Repent and, and believe in the gospel. And believe in the gospel, yeah. I think repent and believe in the gospel, like, packs more of a punch. I usually tend to do that for adults, and then remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return for kids. Whoa, that's intense. Well, I'm like, kids don't need to repent, do they? Yeah, but the dust and dust is like death, isn't it? Memento mori kind of thing? I mean, both are. Yeah, I guess. Um, I like the the dust to dust one. Yeah, so I that's just what you I do. give that to everybody. Nice. Uh, well, maybe I switch. I guess it kind of depends on what kind of uh, homily I'm gonna give, mm-hmm. right? But I don't know. I like them both. Have you done? Um, Repent and believe in the gospel. I I like that one in particular. If I can explain that gospel there is the good news of jesus christ Hmm. so turn around from your all your bad news and your chaos and your mess right and receive this it's beautiful here it is you know get out of the cave and come into the sunshine because there's vitamin d in the sunshine (laughs) to use plato's analogy that's right you got it um have you ever done ash wednesday mass in spanish i think so yeah and probably have just wondering. Ceniza? What is the polvo? Polvo. Yeah. <laughs> Recuerda me. que eres Recuerda polvo? que polvo eres y en polvo te converterás. Ooh, converterás. There's conversion in both. So I remember one of my first years as a seminarian when we went out to the parishes for Ash Wednesday, I was assigned to a Spanish parish and I had to memorize that. And I couldn't do the other one because it's like, it's a tongue twister. Arrepiéntete y cree. En el Evangelio. Yeah. That's a tongue twister for me. It is, yeah. So I did the longer one. Arrepiéntete. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's fun. But I was like, I was so nervous. You know Spanish? I mean, enough to say, remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. Well, and you got a good memory too. You remember that. That's fair. I mean, I said it like a thousand times, so. That'll do it. That'll do it. Although, you know what? We did a, like a... Mass for the sick, and mm-hmm. we did anointings, and I've done a thousand anointings, at least, and I had to look at the book for the, you know, the uh, formula, mm-hmm. just because I was nervous about if I get it wrong or I forget it or whatever. That's right. You definitely want to get that one right. Through the, through this holy anointing, may the Lord, in His love, in and His mercy. love and mercy, help you with the holy, the grace of the Holy the Spirit. Spirit. Amen. May the Lord, who frees you from sin, heal you and raise you up. Save you and raise you up. Oh, Wait, is it heal you? <laughs> you're going to continue. Save me? you and raise you up. You're Save right. You. See, um, there's a new formula for absolution. Absolution. That's right. What do you think? Well, the good news is if you mess it up, it's still valid because it's still ego yeah, te absolvo. You're, you're pretty fresh. That's true. I have one and a half years to unlearn. You have what? 11 years to unlearn? Even one and a half though. That's kind of when it sets in. So we did the new translation of the missile mm-hmm. and i still had to really pay attention to it yeah. for the creed and the whatever but yeah the new translation for absolution it doesn't affect the penitents just the priest uh instead of uh sent the holy spirit among us for the forgiveness of sins we now say uh poured out the holy spirit for f- for forgiveness or something like it's that. just poured out is the difference okay yeah and then the other one is uh, you say grant instead of give. May God grant you peace and pardon as opposed pardon to... Pardon and peace. Pardon and peace as yeah, opposed to give. you better get it together, youngin. You already have it wrong. No, no, no. 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 Come on. So give and grant is not 
really much of a theological difference. Right. But I do think the pour forth is interesting. Poured, That's poured not out. the topic, but I think it's interesting. Yeah, poured out instead of uh, sent forth. That is interesting. Yeah, poured out. So, like, what is it referring to? Pentecost? Could be Pentecost, kind of. I think the poured, more like the anointing, probably. The chrism. Hmm. Oh, sure. Don't you think? Because the poured out, you think of what the Jesus aside, or you see uh, the Holy Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son. Mm-hmm. But poured out just seems to me like a oil image. Yeah. Or is it a water image? Yeah, oil image. Could be both though. But yeah, being cleansed, being washed, right? Make me. We were washed through the blood of the Lamb to be made white. Um, is the image so? And uh, anointing for the. Be conformed. You are conformed to Christ, priest, prophet, and king. Mm. Anyway, we can do that down the road. <laughs> <laughs> Just checking in with you and you're keeping up with the Spanish and the nice shirt, by the way. Latin and stuff. Don't you think? This is a cool Father Mike shirt, has man. the uh, Immaculate Heart of Mary beautifully on his shirt, but it's like huge. I mean, it's like a foot tall. It's like it covers now, his whole oh, chest. Yeah, dude. But this it has the fire. It has the seven having swords. having a tattoo of the same. We'll have to put a picture online now. Okay, right? that's true. I do we, want to advertise this shirt. It's cool. Speaking of which, we got to take more photos. Katie is always yelling at us for not having more photos. Are you doing one now? Yeah, I just took a photo of you. Does, can you see my shirt, though? Kind of, but here's the thing. Here's the problem. My phone is about to die. I have 2% batteries. So. You have, like, one of those real fancy phones? I mean, it's just With a great phone. camera? I think the, well, the cameras are the thing that change, That's right? true. They make it cooler each iteration or something. That's true. I'm not a photographer, dude. Um, Deacon Jacob is. He is. He's Are very you? good. I re- I'm a retired. Are you a selfie guy? <laughs> I hate selfies. Have you ever had a selfie stick? <laughs> no, definitely never had a <laughs> selfie stick. I make fun of people who take selfies. I've taken probably like five selfies my whole life, and every time I do it, I'm like, oh, this is horrible. Yeah, what am I, I doing gross. right now? Oh, oh, cringe. Um, I feel the same way. I do though. Notice that I don't take enough. When when people ask, oh hey, you know, you just went to the mountains. Can I see? Mm-hmm. No, because I don't have a picture. <laughs> oh hey, you know, uh, give me a picture of your family. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to find one. It's a shame. It's a shame. I should take more pictures. I think. Yeah, I don't know. It's nice to look back at moments and be like, oh, that was that was cool. But it's also nice to live in the moment and. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, remember what about it that way. Um, do you are you old enough to remember pictures in your wallet? <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? I know what you're talking about. Those I never really had size? them, but do they even do wallet size anymore? I don't know. They might usually like senior picks, things like that. Yeah, right. Yeah, there's everything's digital anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, technology's great. Does uh, Chat GBT scare you? <laughs> I don't know much about it, but it seems like the the whole big talk. I'm fine with just taking Google and <laughs> googling things. Do you think people could catch it if? You told ChatGBT, I don't even know if that's the letters. It is, ChatGBT. To write a homily that Father Sean Conroy would write, and then you read it. I'm going to try. Mass, are they going to, do you think they'd notice? Is it that good? I think it's pretty good. Does it scare you that every time that we get on these microphones and send this out into the digital world, (laughs) that robots are gathering that information to craft a personality, what would you call it? Just a, like a collection database of database. Father Sean. Are they? I don't believe that. I think that's what it's supposed to be, right? That's what Chat GPT does. I think it, it just does. like collects a bunch of stuff. It uses so that, all the metadata huh. about you in order to <laughs> try to imitate you. That's. I don't know if I like that. No, it's scary. That's why people are, um, you know, excited, up in arms, afraid. Yeah. I'm not trying to sow fear. It's just Lent, you know? It's just I'm Lent. supposed to be... We should be fasting from chat GPT anyways. I don't use it, but I'd like to see it. You don't use it, I, obviously. I've not used it yet. I don't even know what it is. Is it an app? Is it a Google kind of... It's like a Google platform, from what I understand. There might be an app for it as well. But yeah, it's like an AI learning system, right? So it kind of learns as it goes. So the more you use it, the smarter it gets. Do you TikTok? I do not do TikTok. <laughs> I was trying to catch you with the quick question there. Uh, Lent has arrived. Do you do anything with technology? 
Um, I'll be honest. I'm like really behind thinking about Lent. That's one of my projects for tomorrow, actually. Uh, typically, what I do is um, I just need to pray with it a little bit more. But typically, what I do is give up music in the car. Yeah. Um, at least like fun music. So maybe I'll listen to just like, well, this is going to sound bad now, but just classical music. Ah, that's me too. Um, I said I'm only going to listen to classical. Classical is fun. Like, sorry if I offended anyone. Um, but it's more meditative, right? So it's less distracting. That's right. It's less distracting. I see it. Um, also, I love listening to like Bach's Passion, Passion of St. Matthew, things like that I find to be really life-giving, really helpful. Like prayerful. Um, I don't have any like social media or anything like that, so I haven't really set boundaries of giving that up. As companions, we don't have TVs in the rectory, so I don't have to worry about that. Um, so it's usually audio for me, podcasts, um, audiobooks, things like that, that I just have to kind of step back from. Yeah. Um, when you do listen to music, that's distracting. Mm-hmm. Are you a sounds or a lyrics guy? Sounds. Really? I do not pay attention to lyrics. And then someone would be like, that's a really inappropriate song. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, Sorry. I'm like, Oh, I like the beat though. Isn't it cool? Yeah, me too. Um, I'm not an auditory learner. I'm a visual learner and kinesthetic, which is like feeling. Um, so because I'm not an auditory learner, like I don't listen super well, if I'm honest. Um, so I've never really loved audiobooks. I never really loved podcasts. Like I just struggle to, so for me, in order to even to get into a podcast or an audiobook, I usually have to re-listen to it like multiple times before it's like, oh yeah, I'm listening here. Like pay attention. Yeah. Even like the liturgy of the hours, I've mm-hmm. been praying the liturgy of the hours for what, 20 years. And there are guys who just by memory can pray all those Psalms that we've been praying over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And like, if we go up to the mountains, you go and ski in, we go up to the mountains, we pray morning prayer in the car. There's some guys who don't need a breviary mm-hmm. and they just say it. And I'm like, how do you even do that? And then I realized, wait a minute, I've prayed it so many times that if somehow my brain could pay attention, I could do that probably, <laughs> but I just don't, I'm not accustomed to that. Yeah. I think it has to do with sounds and paying attention or whatever. I'm the same though. If I, uh, somebody brings up a song and starts the lyrics, I could know that song and sing along. But yeah. when I try to think of the lyrics, I always get them wrong mm-hmm. or just freeze. I don't know. Yeah, or the the formula for the anointing of the sick, you know? Alas, alas. But I even see that. So maybe there's stuff that you got to just like commit to memory. Yeah. Do you have the Eucharistic prayers memorized? Uh, maybe. Um, I've never tried to do it by memory. But I've gotten to the point now where I've prayed it so many times, mostly Eucharistic prayer two and three, where when I am following along in the book, it's like, oh, yeah, I know this. And then so I can look more at the cross as opposed to just the book. Oh, yeah. And just kind of, yeah, roll. I had a question about the the formula for absolution. Uh-huh. Okay, this is kind of digressing. Yeah. However, was the Latin changed from up top or is this an ISIL thing like the English translation? I ask that because in Spanish, when I do Spanish confessions, mm-hmm. it's... Um, Dios misericordioso que reconcilió consigo al mundo por la muerte y resurrección de su hijo y envió al Espíritu Santo. Send. So it sent the Holy Spirit. And I wondered, am I supposed to change the Spanish that I do too? Or is this an English translation thing? My understanding is just English from like ISOL or the USCCB, but <clears throat> I could be wrong on that, but that's my understanding. And that typically the Latin has always been the same. Um, and then the different conferences of bishops from around the world will update according to yeah. like getting the right translation, making it more accurate, et cetera. Obviously when the liturgical books changed in the sixties from Latin, everything to the vernacular, they did it so quick. And now there's been a slow updating. Uh, but then when you update it, then you have to call Rome and be like, Hey, do you guys approve this translation? And it just takes time. Or I don't know if it's just didn't update. There's different theories for translation and Good point. sometimes there's more, yeah. An emphasis on more um, literal translation and or direct translation. And then the other one is nicknamed dynamic equivalence. Mm-hmm. But either way, they take a sort of theological interpretation to decide. Um, I My guess is that the Latin says pour it out. But I don't know. We could look at that. But I don't want to access Siri right now. <laughs> I don't care, Siri. I don't care what you think. So you give up technology for Latin? Um, something similar to what you're saying, 
which is just um i can watch dumb videos mm. i don't know about dumb videos but like i don't know sports talk or something like that and yeah. it's it can be just distracting and I think even the purpose is just to stay distracted mm-hmm. instead of like, you know, really be mindful and meditative. Well, let's see. What do we want to talk about today? <laughs> is it my topic? I think it's my topic. It's your topic, Father Mike. Do we do topics? I wondered if... We should do series. What if I do... Oh, a series. Yeah, we should do like a whole series on the letter to the Romans. Hey, I like it, man. Like a study or... Yeah, why not? One sacrament each time, and then we go through all of them. That'd be cool. Or gifts of the Holy Spirit. I don't know. Hey, well, you. Do, <laughs> I mean, do you want to brainstorm right now? Are we? Is this like a business meeting? <laughs> <laughs> sure, let's turn this into a business meeting. Catholic stuff you should know. The future. Okay. The next seven weeks will be on the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. Well, don't make any false promises. <laughs> I can't say. But I do think a series might be interesting. Sometimes you get bored with just like the same old and rando and... I'm a rando, but I appreciate series. Really? Well, the hard part, though, is that we rotate the different Right. Um, and then you'd have hosts. to listen to the last guy, so that way you're not prepared. Yeah, and then we'd have to be really planning and stuff, and we're pretty bad at <laughs> planning. Don't you think? Oh, we're terrible I'm at bad, I should say. We do everything at the last minute. Yeah, and then coordinating all the guys talking about the same thing and which one is going to be published when. And mm-hmm. um, No, no, no. no. Uh, let's just talk then, huh? So what do you got? I got uh, Lent. You enter into this Lent and there's different kind of theories of, I don't know, theories. There's different references throughout the tradition of the church of what is Lent. What are these 40 days? Are we wandering with the Israelites after being freed from Egypt in the desert? Are we going into the desert with Jesus for 40 days? Are we walking from the, I don't know, the journey in Luke's gospel, heading up to Jerusalem with Jesus. So I don't really want to pick one or the other, but today the gospel was Jesus and the temptations in the desert. Mm-hmm. I don't know, is temptations in the desert the right term for it? As opposed to what? Like he's definitely tempted by the devil. Jesus crushing the devil. Jesus's <laughs> contest with the devil. That's fair. In the desert. Because I feel like Jesus is, well, there is temptation. Yeah. But <laughs> he's, he's pretty well in charge the whole time. He is. I feel right. like the devil's the coward, the kind of sneaky, well, that's temptation, I guess, right? He's trying to trick. He's trying to lie to Jesus. He's trying to fool him into something. Yeah. So then the first reading is Adam and Eve in mm-hmm. the garden. Yeah, eat of this fruit, and you shall be like God. Which you should is, be like. What does that mean? Well, I, I, th- I always find this really fascinating. If you eat of this fruit, you'll be like God. It's a subtle lie because Adam and Eve are already made in the image and likeness of God, which I love. It's like they don't need to be like God. They're already like don't God. Don't they know that too? They do. I'm sure they do. Um, but it's a, like a, a seed of doubt or... Yeah. What's the temptation then? I think it's to like... Control of your own life, rebellion. Right, which is I think is the to be like God, to be my own. Right. So like I think the the to me the question becomes, do you want God to be the God of your life, or do you become your own God? Yeah. Which would be autonomy. I'm uh, obedient to my will. Right. Autonomy, autonomos, our Greek scholar here, right? Self self governing laws. Ah. I make my own laws. Ubermensch. <laughs> autonomos. So if I make my own laws, then I am like God. I can do whatever I want. And so it's a subtle lie essentially for the enemy to say, uh, do your own thing. Don't be obedient to anyone. You're your own creator. And I think it's the same thing for Jesus in the, in the desert. (laughs) This is my joke at mass. I love, I love dad jokes. Just have to preface that. But the reading literally says, and Jesus uh, led by the spirit out into the desert he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And after that was over, he was hungry. <laughs> I'm like, thanks for the detail to know that he was hungry. I'm like, <laughs> I was hungry after Ash Wednesday. I'm like Thursday. I was like, I just was gorging myself with food. Cause I hadn't eaten all day, you know? And he was hungry. <laughs> yeah. What else? 
I, yeah, totally fasting. 40 days. Is that possible? I did meet a priest recently who is like on a diet mm-hmm. that involves fasting mm-hmm. and he'll do like 40 days of water um, and bread, water and bread Holy cow. or water and other things. Cause I don't think he's like, you know, the carbs gluten, or the gluten yeah. or something, but he, he's a big, big guy. So the body just works on the fat and the calories. I was amazed when he told me some of his regimen. Yeah. It was like, what is this even, you know, humanly possible? So I don't want to, that was my impression that he had, has done 40 days in the past. And it's not just like a feat of strength. Mm-hmm. It's like for concern about his weight and his health. Sure. But I never heard that. I thought that was unhealthy. Yeah. I'm not recommending that to anybody <laughs> right now <laughs> because I'm really not sure how healthy that is. Um, but maybe possible, I guess. But he, you would be hungry. Jesus was hungry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then he's tempted to turn the stones into loaves of bread. Turn the t- turn the stones, yeah, hungry. But he, I think there's something there that's supposed to be like he's human too, mm-hmm. right? Oh, absolutely. It's kind of like evidence that he's... Right, I mean, the temptations show us that Jesus shares our human nature, you know, in all things but sin, but he's still tempted, tempted like us in every way. Um, right, so I, I told you this before we started, but... Um, right. The first Sunday of Lent is, is, uh, the temptations. The second Sunday of Lent is, um, the transfiguration. So blessed be Jesus Christ, true God and true man. Today we see his true humanity through the temptations that, yeah, he's tempted. He's real. He's human. And then we'll see the divinity highlighted in the next one. And neither are without the other, right? Correct. So when Jesus is aware or like the gospel writers, recognize that Jesus is aware of his relationship to the father in the desert, you know, that he's obedient, that he's um, loved and protected. You know, he doesn't have to test the father. He's tra- he trusts right. all these things. And then on the other hand, on the transfiguration, he's still there. He's not like blissing out or something. He's right. interacting with his own. Um, so Jesus goes to war with this, this devil, mm-hmm. you know? So I want to talk about kind of, little pieces of the the reality of Jesus at war and how it affects us both on earth and in heaven, or maybe better in his um, temptation in the desert mm-hmm. and his life in the world. And then in the book of revelation. Awesome. Okay. So let's just start with that. Well, let's see, which one do we want to start with? Let's start with the, the latter. Okay? Revelation. The book of revelation and I have to New Testament. check my phone. You ever read the book of Revelation? I have. How many times? Just once. Um, what's your impression of it? Is it the end times? <laughs> when is it? When is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? Uh, tomorrow. <laughs> it's always tomorrow? Like the perennial tomorrow? Jesus is coming? Good question. I don't know. You're asking the wrong guy. I should be asking you these questions. Me- You're the well, okay, scholar. so is it meant to be a vision of the future as such? Uh, not as such, right? But it is a vision of, of heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, John seeing these things. But one of the things that I always think is important to remember is because God is outside of time, heaven is outside of time, uh, there's a lot of stuff that happens that is like in the past, but also the present and also the future. And so it's almost like simultaneously happening in the book of Revelation, um, yet it's still oriented as a future reality, the future heaven. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, Catholic es- eschatology is a uh, now and not yet. What is it? Already but not yet. Already but not yet. That's a good phrase for it. So it is talking about, it's talking about what's happening now. What's happened in the past because of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection mm-hmm. was happening throughout history, including the present and the church and what's happening in heaven and what's happening, you know, with the conquering of evil and the victory of God throughout time, which is happening. And then it's also a vision of the future that's already here, hmm. you know, oddly there. So there's, this kind of perfection at the end of the book of Revelation, which is um, the devil is totally conquered and all the evil powers in the world are conquered. Um, all the sufferings and pestilences and all the plagues and all of the um, 
kind of systemic injustice and evil, mm-hmm. like these great kingdoms are depicted as great kingdoms. And then there is this vision of a new heavens and a new earth and the wedding between the, the descent of the heavenly Jerusalem and wed with the earthly one and the wedding feast of the lamb happening somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. So there's a vision of the future belongs to Christ and it it is both heaven but also heaven on earth. So your boy N.T. Wright makes a big <laughs> point of this that we're praying thy kingdom come. Jesus taught us to pray thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We expect that. We want that. We want that now. We're not just waiting to die and then go someplace. Mm-hmm. Or for God, God, our God it has not just set up this kind of barrier of I'll save you when you're dead. But it's like, no, I'm transforming the world into my kingdom. So there's kind of both. Does that make sense? It's like a future that's already mm-hmm. happening in, uh, in the world time. Okay. But it's not necessarily like this is exactly how it's going to happen, correct? Yeah. Or can, nor can you tell the timeline or how well that's happened or, you know, what's, was it more 100 years ago or will it be 100 years from now? It's mm-hmm. kind of like an ebb and flow thing where you can't really look at the world and say, I can calculate how it's getting better and more Christian. That's not just the number of baptized or something like that. Right. Right. Okay. One of the things that happens in the book of Revelation is that in chapter 12, you get this big war, mm-hmm. right? A dragon. The dragon, and you get Mary, this, well, you get the woman mm-hmm. who is pregnant with the, with, you know, the Messiah and the champion, and who, um, and then it says at verse 7 and following, Now war rose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they were defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. No longer any place. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Rejoice then, O heaven, and you that dwell therein. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Hmm. Uh, this is So they're naming the devil. This is the, the ancient serpent, serpent. We had talked about Adam and Eve in the garden. The liar and the, de- the de- deceiver and the accuser, mm-hmm. right? The deceiver and the accuser. And he's conquered. He's conquered by Christ. And as I said, this is a vision of both what Jesus has won by the blood of his cross and has inspired in his followers that they have cast him out with the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So this is something that's in some way has happened and is happening and is both a reality of heaven and earth. But I want to look at the heaven picture. Great. Okay. So I took to this kind of curiosity that I had with the penitential rite. There's a threefold penitential rite that is optional. You can do the confidior or you can do, I don't, is there a technical name for the threefold? The tropes, maybe? The tropes. Oh, yeah. Um, the three. Yeah. yeah, the Lord have mercy tropes. I don't know. Yeah, so I use, um, you were sent to heal the contrite of heart. Lord have mercy. You came to call sinners. Christ have mercy. You are seated at the right hand of the Father to intercede for us. Lord, Lord have, have mercy. And I say, what, what do you mean intercede for us? Haven't you already saved us hmm. by your cross and your resurrection? Don't we have other people praying for us? Why would you have to pray for us in heaven? What does that even mean? You're praying for us to the Father, right? I thought maybe there's something of like, Jesus tells Peter, Simon, Simon, the devil wants to check your faith and sift you like wheat, uh, but I have prayed for you. Mm -hmm. And when you come back, presuming he's coming back, he's being saved from that devil's attacks, then strengthen your brothers. Mm -hmm. Remember that in the garden? Mm Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on what it means that Jesus is interceding for us or why he would have to do that? Don't we ask, aren't we asking 
Jesus to pour out our grace or to, to give us graces and healing and power? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think um, the one image that comes to mind would be Moses. Moses intercedes for Israel, uh, you know, because he's, right, think of Exodus 19, Moses goes up on the mountain He's up there, well, again, 40 days, 40 nights, another 40. Uh, he's up there, he's communing with God, and then he comes down and he sees the Israelites worshiping a golden calf. And he's like, you know, God, don't let your wrath burn hot. Like, I beg you. Um, and he even goes as far to say, blot me out of the book of life, as opposed to bringing your wrath upon either Israelites. We, of course, should never pray that prayer. Um, but Moses intercedes well, um, Paul says something like that. Paul says something similar. I would he? be anathema. Mm. You could cast me out of communion with all. It's basically, I would risk my salvation right. uh, for the sake of my people. Hmm. But he's not asked to do that, of course. Right. Right. Which is powerful. But Jesus as the new Moses, I think maybe we, something could be said about that. Like, certainly there's, there's something here. This is more the Protestant tradition. We got to be careful how we articulate this. But um, in a certain sense, the wrath of God is satisfied when Jesus is crucified on the cross. Not that it's like Jesus is, is you know, the, the father is angry and he's just saying, I'm going to kill my son. That's not what's going on at all. But there's a certain sense like God's wrath is satisfied through it. Like Jesus is interceding for us so that God's wrath doesn't burn hot. Can I say that? I think so. Yeah, I think so. And I think um, Hebrews takes something like that with Jesus, the high priest, mm. the mediator of the covenant, and this eternal sacrifice that's happening in heaven that is some sort of I- intercession for his people, right? The people of God. And um, that there is something there that's a, per- a perennial intercession, mm. that there's a prayer going on in heaven, which is his eternal sacrifice of Christ on the cross. This is getting into weird time warp right now, sure. right? Yeah. That we tap in to this um, this kind of one moment of the cross that happened 2,000 years ago and is a participation in this heavenly sacrifice hmm. that's always in the eternal present. So Jesus is a high priest interceding for us. I like that as one image. Here's another one that I think maybe the intercession, it fits with other imagery in the, in the scriptures, but maybe it's implied with this intercession. That is, that Satan is the accuser when it calls, that even that word Satan means the accuser. Hasatan. Yeah, it means the one who is testing and the one who is, yeah, kind of accusing. It's almost like a, a court scene in heaven. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm going to read a little Job. You remember the beginning? Of Job? Yeah. The reeve motif. Yeah, the reeve. That's it. Dude, how, you are impressing me right now with your Hebrew. A reeve is a... A trial, it, right? Yeah, it's a trial to find out if the person is right or wrong. Mm-hmm. CSI, you know? Pro, so you're thinking of props, prosecutor and a defense attorney, right? Mm-hmm. Prosecutor is trying to prove to the jury that this person was in the wrong. The defender is trying to prove that this person shouldn't be punished or was in the right. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's the little trial scene, the old Reeve in the uh, beginning of Job 1.6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord, from going back and forth on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only upon himself do not put forth your hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And then the book is going to show you that if Job's stuff, if he doesn't have everything, you know, he's got this great family, he's got lots of wealth, mm-hmm. he's just got a, a real fortunate life. Mm-hmm. And he's just, you know, boss. He's bossing, cruising. <laughs> bossing. Bossing. King. Ugh. 
I don't know how to call it. Um, he's has an awesome life. Everything's mm-hmm. great. And then this, the Satan, the accuser in the, the Reeve, the court scene is saying, yeah, but if he didn't have all that, then he wouldn't be such a, a great guy and he wouldn't trust you. He wouldn't love you and he wouldn't, you know, he would abandon God and he would also uh, not be a good dude anymore. He'd have to, he'd be corrupt and have to scrape and claw and survival of the fittest, right? So you have this court scene that's an old motif and um, this is like in some way a parable. So it's not like Satan's just like cruising around, happens upon God or something like that. could be a con- confusing for mm-hmm. people who are trying to do like a strict angelology theology here. Sure. But the story has its point, and the image is one that is a fun image that the the um, that kind of makes sense if you think of the reality that we will face judgment. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when we die, we're gonna have our life examined, and we don't know exactly what that looks like, but we will know that Christ is our judge, right? Mm-hmm. But I like the picture. Try the picture of Revelation. Where, say you die, you go on, and there's lots of lots of people in the afterlife or something like that, and then you have this court scene. You have the um, God as the judge, and then you have this I don't know accuser, deceiver, and then you have what some sort of jury, maybe. And you know, I'm this is this is what anagog analogical uh, this is speculative. speculative this is speculative theology. this is a this is a thought <clears throat> experiment mm-hmm. for the sake of drawing right. a picture of how christ and satan battle mm-hmm. so you get up into your judgment and you've got the deceiver you've got some sort of judgment on your life that is negative and you got this deceiver who's te- you got the whole crowd of witnesses. That's what Hebrews uses. All these people who have died and gone before us. And now you're on trial. Your life is on trial. Everybody's going to watch a video of your life. And then you got this accuser who is the prosecutor. And he said, look at all this stuff. Look at how hypocritical Father Mike is. He takes on this role as a leader in the in the church and supposed to be this great Christian. And here, watch this sin after sin after sin. Lies, arrogance, so the false pretenses. Here, look at these bad intentions for him being such a Christian. And just going to go in, 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 in. And then exaggerate things. Look how terrible this was. How he betrayed this friend. What an awful person. Who would ever do that? You would never do that. Just saying to the, to the crowd. To, to, the, <clears throat> to the jury, right? Yeah. And he's an exaggerator, so he's a liar. And he wants to ignore the, you know, the context, important facts, bending the truth. There's a little bit of truth here, and then he's going to exaggerate and, uh, and is an accuser. This person deserves punishment. This person deserves to be ignored, to be shamed. All of you should be ashamed of him. And, and then you got the intercessor. You sit at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Hmm. Interce- the interceding is someone who defends you mm-hmm. and says, hey, no, that's not the real them. That's not... That's not the real Mike. That's not the real Mike, and you're not seeing these things. If you knew, if you really knew him and you knew the circumstances, then you wouldn't hold this against him. So then you have Jesus who's interceding both. Let me show you how... It's not an excuse, but let me explain how someone would do this, make this mistake. And that's not always true. I mean, I can use my free will maliciously, but a lot of times we're trying to choose the good and we choose the lesser good. And so God is, Jesus is defending, but probably more importantly, he's saying, let me show you who he truly is. Hmm. And then with these little spots uh, that look like the darkness, Jesus shows you all the good, shows the whole crowd. Look what good this one has done. This is my son, my friend. And he has done all of these acts of charity, and he's his light was a, his life was a blessing to these people and these people, and um, and he's got a good heart and a good good intentions and stuff, you know. That's the in, that's an inter, intercessor, mm-hmm. you know. When someone is put on trial and a parent comes and says, um, you know, if you really knew them, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. 
What do you think about that? I love. Do you think about your judgment at all? Do you think okay, Danielle? So, God is my judge. There's your another Hebrew. Ju- yeah, dude. Your another you're, Hebrew. You're on top of it. Um, what about your experience of like confession in the Christian life too? Mm-hmm. Isn't it easy to get roped into I'm really terrible? Oh, but for it's sure. like an exaggerated voice in your head. No? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would say my generation. Uh, I think it's because of social media, because of um, the jealousies and comparisons that are out there. My generation actually struggles more. Well, I'll, fr- I'll phrase it this way first. My generation struggles less with like vainglory and pride than we do self-hatred, self-loathing. Um, oh, that's been my experience with, with people my age and now even people younger than me. Because I think especially, I say this gently, but a lot of young girls, they're on social media, they're on Instagram, and they're just scrolling through mindlessly and TikTok of like, look how pretty that girl is that woman is, that person is, that celebrity is, I'm never going to be that amazing. And then so we, we begin to hate ourselves. And then well, so and dudes do it too. Do, dudes like, do it too. It's that guy's an awesome skateboarder or, you know, look at this, this person I got to compete with. Right. Oh, for sure. And I think when we, when we bring that into then the confession, it's like, how could God ever love me? I'm not right. And last week and we heard, um, be perfect just as your heavenly father is perfect. Like, how am I supposed to be perfect? Like mm. I suck. I can never live up to these things. Yeah. And, and that's always been a temptation for me is just like to beat myself up over the smallest things and to go back to the heart of the mercy seat of the father and, and just hear like, you are good. You are mine. You know, that's, that's the father or Jesus interceding for us. Like, don't believe the accusations of the accuser, the lies of the accuser, but believe what God says about you, that you are his son, that you are my friend. I love that. That's a good, beautiful image. Um, even in, uh, even in the confessional, I see this as a priest. People come in there and they're like, I'm just such a terrible person. They've given up on themselves mm-hmm. or they kind of give into this despair over sometimes little things, you know, I've screw up and now I'm feel terrible about, it. and I think that's, I think that's the devil getting in there and saying, Absolutely. you, you have, become a bad person and you're a, you're a terrible person or this thing is the end of the world. How dare you do any of this? What an offense to God. Hmm. You know? Yeah. And I think in part the role of the priest is kind of intercessory. God don't hold this against them. Mm. This is a good person. here. You know? yeah. yeah. Maybe two things. One, one, one thing that comes to mind, as you said, this is like, um, this is just the way it, way it happens or anyways, uh, but the, the, the image that comes to mind is like, okay, your child is misbehaving in school. So then it gets called to the principal's office and the principal is just like, you're a terrible person. How could you do these things? I need to call your mom or your dad. You're going to, you we're going to all have to meet together. And then your mom comes in and your mom just looks at the principal and goes, you don't understand my son. Like mm-hmm. you don't understand him. Like he's struggling with some stuff right now, certainly, but he's a good kid. He's a good kid. And like, Parents are always going to defend their kids that way. I love that. Like that's, and, and that's the image that came to mind. Um, thankfully my parents never had to come into the principal's office with me, but parent teacher conferences oh, dude, were always I was, interesting. We were just talking about at my brother-in-law's birthday today, mm-hmm. shout out Dieter, um, how my mom is going to teach the third graders some religious ed. And she said, these are the hardest kids. And I was like, really? And she's like, yeah, this is when they start really misbehaving. Hmm. And I, I told her, I, yeah, that's when I got my first blue slip. <laughs> Third grade, I got a detention for the first time. That's awesome. And I was probably a bad kid before that, but <laughs> that's when they first like put their foot down. Yeah. You know? And I don't think my mom came in and said, oh, no, if you really... She was like, yeah, you should do detention because <laughs> you deserve it. But yeah, we sometimes we're slips. misunderstood. That's another thing is sometimes you have good intentions or you do the right thing, but someone misunderstands it or they read it wrong and they take it wrong. And there's sometimes like you can't stand up for yourself. You you know, they don't trust you anymore or they don't want to hear it or whatever. Yeah. So the intercessor. The other thing I was going to say, do you mind if I say one more thing? Please, please. I don't want to hijack this analogy at all because I think it's beautiful, but my only reticence towards it is, Christ has already won. So like to put Christ on the defense of like Christ is interceding, defending us. Absolutely. But in a sense, like 
we're on the offense. It's the enemy who's trying to defend that we're bad. Like we're good first and foremost, and the enemy is trying to prove that we're not good. Um, and so it's almost like it's flipped, but you know, you see what I'm saying there? Absolutely. No, I, I think that's absolutely right. And we have become children of God. You think God is ashamed of his children? You know what I mean? The, but I do think this describes something like kind of psychological that's going on in us. Hmm. So maybe this isn't exactly what the, the, our judgment will look like. I do think, I tend to think that our judgment will have a lot to do with seeing the good in our life rather than, you know, here's what you should be ashamed of or here's what you should be punished for or something silly like that. Mm-hmm. The, um, cause we already go into death with like, should I regret my life in ways or whatever? But life is so good that anybody who really loves you just wants you to celebrate the good or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I do think, though, that this describes something very profound about the spiritual life on this side, where we're wrestling with exaggerations and lies that jump into our head and our temptations and everything. And it's true that Christ has said, in the world you'll have troubles, but take heart, I already conquered the world and has conquered the devil and everything. So this is an already and not yet. And the already is that, like you say, Christ has conquered all of evil and death. Mm -hmm. And somehow in history, he is, um, all things are being subjected to him and put under his feet. Mm -hmm. And the last of these is to be death. So there is a kind of playing out of all the evil being conquered by Christ in time. But you're right. This is not something like the devil doesn't have a sort of equal footing in front of this um, kind of, exist this this cosmic judgment of each of us okay so along the same lines of jesus conquering and our participation in that is on this side so that was kind of the heaven jesus at war with the devil kind of thought this other one is jesus goes into the desert and he conquers this evil tempter right and he conquers the tempter, maybe I, I tried to, but I think it might have been stretching to talk about Jesus's fasting mm-hmm. conquers the devil. That one's pretty sure. You know, he was hungry, <laughs> and and then his I think prayer. Okay, so it's a time of fasting, prayer, and almsgiving. Almsgiving, yeah. So something of his prayer is expressed in his trust in God. I don't have to test God. The devil takes him to the high thing and says, throw yourself off, test God, see if he really cares, and uh, if his promises are, you know, true. And Jesus says, I just trust God, mm-hmm. you know, and I, that's an act of prayer of sorts, you know. It's, it's um, not relying on ourself and not saying, God, I don't, I, I need I need to test you because I've had a broken heart and things have gone wrong in my life and I'm not sure I should trust you. I'm not sure that you really care about me. So prove yourself. Whereas the prayer is about like just showing gratitude and expressing praise of God and all these acts that are like, unless you trust God, then your interaction would just be kind of selfish and defensive or doubting or something. Mm-hmm. Okay, so fasting, prayer, and then there's something of Jesus being offered the wealth of the nations, the rule of the nations, that the devil takes him to the high mountain and says, I will give you all of this. And Jesus says, I don't need to be given anything. I have, and I want my life to be a gift to others. I want to give, not mm-hmm. to receive. And there's something of that we imitate with our almsgiving. And so in these three great acts, he conquers the devil. And the devil fled from there, mm-hmm. right? Doesn't it end like that, something? Yeah, it ends like that. And then it says, and angels came to minister to him. Which, which I've never understood. Me neither. <laughs> what do you get? I, I've, I don't know. I literally don't know. Do you think they're just like, I don't know, like he's gathered the troops? That could be. He's just I mean, cause, conquered. Because the then... devil is an angel. I mean, traditionally understood. I don't know if that's the way the gospel is meant to be understood in that too but right the yeah, devil is, is an angel it's not like the uh, altar servers or right. ministering to him or like you know the deacons or 
these guys just got ordained. They're going to minister to God. Right. I've never quite understood. We'd have to research that and ex- do exegesis. Okay. So we get into we get into Lent and we're invited to do prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And I think all too often Catholics are going to see that as self-discipline and training, mm-hmm. you know, something like a New a Year's man-made project resolution. Yeah, right. I want to be better, either like um, just for my own peace of mind, just be a better person or have a more disciplined life, or even like the fitness of my spiritual life. Mm-hmm. And I would not reject that that's good. I mean, the perennial tradition and even in the liturgical prayers and stuff is this is a time of moral growth, right? It's pushing against vice and moving toward virtue. Mm-hmm. That's why we're turning off the radio, mm-hmm. right? But there's also a certain power of fighting alongside Jesus that I've been, I don't know why, but I've been struck by this this particular Lent, is that you can't, each of those acts of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving that you're going to do and go out of your way to do during Lent are not only like self-disciplining acts, but maybe more importantly, they're at the service of Christ and they're acts of charity. Mm-hmm. So they can be offered for other people and for the defeat of evil, in fact. So remember, Jesus sends out his disciples and he says, go and heal people and cast out demons. And they go and they cast them out. And then they come back and they're like, wait, but there's this one, what is it? What do they say? You remember? Mm-mm. There's one that we couldn't cast out. Jesus, why are there demons that we can't cast out? And he says, there are some that can only be cast out with prayer and fasting. Hmm. Right? And then he goes in and he casts out that demon. But he doesn't say, I'm... there's some that can only be cast out if I do it. Mm -hmm. He just says with prayer and fasting. Presumably Jesus is living that lifestyle or whatever. Mm. But there's an invitation there that during Lent, if part of our mission is to go cast out demons, that our prayer and fasting can do that. You know, they have that power. Mm. So every time you turn off that that radio, radio, you know, you're listening to Dua Lipa, <laughs> you're getting your groove on, you're getting distracted you're and supposed everything. to tell people that. Every time I'm hungry on, you know, Ash Wednesday, I was really hungry this time. I think probably because we had a big dinner, um, Brian Jake, Jacobson and I had a kind of Mardi Gras dinner. Yeah. I mean, it, I didn't plan on anything extravagant, but it was big enough that you stretch out your stomach and then you're hungry the next day. So I was hungry and then... I realized, you know, this is really good. This is an opportunity for me to offer up my suffering. Mm-hmm. But make sure that you're intentional about it. You know, what kind of evil, what kind of evil spirit do I want to cast out with this thing? Yeah. I don't know exactly how that works, but I do know Jesus said it does. So if I want to pray for the for demons of of despair to be cast out from Denver, you know, that could save somebody from suicide right mm. now because I'm depriving myself of meat or, or of a meal or turning off the radio. I can say I want the, you to cast out evil of violence, domestic violence. I want you to cast out demons of uh, addiction. I want you to cast out demons of self-hatred, of resentment, of racism. You know, any of these things. There's so many evils in the world. But we can go to battle with the prayer and the fasting. Mm. And these things are powerful. You know, it doesn't have to be somebody in front of me who I'm saying prayers over. Prayer and fasting casts out demons. Even the, the stubborn ones who don't want to go anywhere. You know? Right. Imagine what good we can do. Do you yeah. ever think about that like that? I don't. No, that's that's a really good insight of like prayer and fasting can help cast out demons. Um but I think, as you were saying earlier, I think it's helpful to locate. We don't do these things for, you know, like certainly when I was young, I used to make, not even young, just like a couple of years ago, which I guess I still am young. But uh, I used to make Latin resolutions of like, all right, I failed at my, you know, uh, New Year's resolution. So I need to get back in shape. So I'm going to give up, you know, meat or give up protein or whatever. Chocolate. So chocolate. Chocolate or sugar or whatever 
um, or alcohol so that I can actually get back in shape and lose weight. And like, it's more of a diet than actually this is a spiritual exercise. Certainly physical exercises help us get in shape, but then we also do spiritual exercises to help us become better in the spiritual life. And certainly there's that, yeah, the task of like, I do these things to make myself better. Um, but in a certain sense, I read this last year actually in, in, in a book, I don't remember what book, but it made the argument when you fail at your Lenten resolution, it's almost better in the sense that it actually causes you to rely deeper on God. And that's the point of your Lenten resolutions anyways, is to make more room for the Lord in your life. And when you fail, you actually recognize, Oh yeah, I'm not all that great. Like I need God. And it makes you all the more dependent on God when you fall into eating chocolate when you're not supposed to. Yeah. Or, you know, fail at your, the resolves in prayer. And then you have to cry out to the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Say, teach me to pray. Help me to pray. And Paul says, um, we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Mm -hmm. There's another intercession. Intercession, (laughs) The paraclete. Yeah. So I'm part of that is just encouraging people like this isn't, if you recognize that it's an act of charity, then you're going to be really happy about this. Your Mm. life is doing incredible good. Every day you could be doing great, you know, spiritual good. That's real. You know, we're, we are in the business of transforming this world. And sometimes that's, you know, specific acts for people in front of us. Sometimes that's spiritual works. Mm. And so I want you to go to bed every every day of Lent, not really worrying about did I fulfill this as best as I could, but just recognizing, yeah, I did something. I said an extra Hail Mary today, mm. or I did make a little sacrifice there, or, you know, I gave away some money, or I detached myself from some money, and um, that's not easy to do. Mm. But offer things up. Get your list. Get your list of things that you, evils that you want to dispel, you know, from, not just from you. I think we can get a little, you know, um, what would you call that? Submarine, stuck in our own, navel gazing, kind of just self-interest. Stuck in our own world, yeah. Yeah. And these things can bring us out of that and really, yeah, change things. Mm -hmm. You know, do something powerful that you've been given the Holy Spirit, the gift of. Right. So Jesus goes into that desert and he conquers the devil this mm. way. And we can go into our own spiritual experience. And I'm not talking about just pray for yourself or your family or something, but pray that in the world, these things are cast out. Mm. Um, and then the almsgiving, they say, take care of the widow and the orphan. This is true religion. And acts of mercy um, cast they, what was they say? Covers a multitude of sins. Mm-hmm. So you're casting out sin. You're like helping the, the people around you. Mm. But I think it's, it can get a little hard to, to abstract from the immediate circumstances of my life and other people. Mm. But I think it's really important. Yeah. I think it's really important not just to do Lent for you. Mm. And well, that's a good insight because it's <clears throat> these are spiritual battles. It's right, we exist in a church, a community, which means my sin doesn't just affect me; it affects those around me. Even sins that like aren't super public, like private sins that no one sees, it still affects the body of Christ because we're so interconnected. But the good news then is our prayer and fasting and almsgiving, specifically prayer and fasting, also affects the body of Christ around us. Like our good deeds doesn't just affect us. It affects those around us too, which is great. Like that should get us really hyped. That's our life, man. That's our joy. That's our meaning. So I tell people, well, I've been kind of mentioning this in, in homilies that you got to recognize that there's, there's a reason why Catholics intuitively love Lent. Shouldn't it be the opposite? This is a harder time of quiet and sacrifice and Mm -hmm. and yet i think there's a lot of people there at ash wednesday there's a lot of people who are like okay i'm back i'm going to try again with the catholic life or renew things or i want to go deeper and everything and they just recognize that this is a graced time when god helps us along that trajectory and so celebrate the end of the day, give thanks to God for an opportunity to serve with your prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Amen. And know that you're going to war 
with Christ, who is the victor, and that we have the privilege of just helping a little bit here and there. Mm. You know, you get you do one a day, you're going to do 40, cast out 40 demons. That's right. You know, imagine that. Somebody is going to walk up to you in heaven and thank you for giving up that dumb chocolate. <laughs> Isn't that better than the chocolate? Absolutely. That's, yeah. I'm really excited for heaven. We're going to see how our good works have actually affected people because oftentimes I just wonder, am I bearing fruit, you know? Yeah, it's easy to just wonder. Well, it's hard to see, for one, and then we live with this concupiscence that makes us dwell on the negative Mm -hmm. and lose perspective, and then we deal with this stupid accuser who likes to just, I don't know, lie, deceive, and say, hey, you know, you're not doing as much as you could. Right. Yeah, but God's voice is all the more true. You got an interceder? Intercessor? How does that work? <laughs> all right, that's it for me, dude. Um, Wait, why, got, did you, why did you open the Roman Missal? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in the first Sunday, the preface um, mm. m- makes mention of this, um, this battle. So it says, uh, by abstaining 40 long days from earthly food, the preface is the part that says, it is truly right and just as is our duty and our salvation. Uh, by abstaining 40 di- long days from the earthly food, he consecrated through his fast the pattern of our Lenten observance. Hmm. He was hungry. Well, <laughs> he was hungry. <laughs> and by overturning all the snares of the ancient serpent, taught us to cast out the leaven of malice. Hmm. Yeah? I like that. He, he went to war with the ancient serpent and thus taught us to cast out the leaven of malice. Beautiful. Find all the little ugly spirits and cast them out with Jesus. Prayer and fasting. All right, dog. I got to see at a mass tonight. I looked out and I hadn't seen her for a long time, but there was Anna Stew. No way. Yeah. And Eric Hill. Wait, it's Anna, Anna Hill. Yeah, I don't think Eric was there, but no. Anna Hill. I, sorry, I called her Anna Stewart, but Anna Hill. And it was just a joy. She's our old climbing buddy. Mm-hmm. You remember that? That's right. We did, uh, oh, what ridge was that? El Diente. El Diente to Mount Wilson together. Epic. That was an epic day. We got in trouble. Epic, sketchy. But, but we don't dwell we on that. We had a great crew, and it was great to see Anna. I laughed. One time she told this story about how for Halloween she dressed up as the tapatio girl uh-huh. and she had red peppers no that she was wearing but there was a dance and there was uh they kept falling on the ground and people were <laughs> stepping on them until everybody started crying and had to leave the party because there was so much spice in the air that's awesome uh, anyway shout out Anna, Anna hill you're cool sorry i missed you at the end i, I kind of got swarmed it happens priestly life uh, i'd like to give a shout out to charlotte chaffin uh, she's a parishioner. She came up to me after mass and was just like, "Great podcast!" And I was like, "Thanks," but I, I didn't ask which one, so I don't know which. All one of she, them. I don't know which one you listen to. I'll be honest; I have not advertised that I'm on Catholic stuff to anyone. Never in the parish. That's best. Um, it's probably best. I'm also nervous of like Father Brian's gonna like kill me if I start advertising. Hey, listen to Catholic stuff you should know oh. when he when he has his own podcast. So yeah, he's. He kind of liked that, but um, he's great. Um, I don't, I'm not a big fan of self promotion. I wonder, I kind of oscillate with that. Like, we are doing good. Mm-hmm. I don't want to waste our time. Right. So, should we be, you know, doing more promotion on social medias and talking yeah. it up and put my bumper sticker on the thing? And the, I think it's you different. You know what I mean? Like, you and, you and Nepal started this thing, but me and Jacob are just coming on. And I'm like, it already has a following. I don't need to go and promote it. So anyways, my point in saying that is Charlotte came up to me. You should promote it. It's a good show. It is. Charlotte I'm came up to me. I'm proud of you. I'm glad you're on. And she was like. I want like, more people to hear your voice. She was like, great, great podcast. And I was like, thanks. But I should have asked her like, wait, when, how long have you listened? Like, how did you find it? Like, I've been getting a lot of people who have said, um, oh, yeah, your Catholic stuff. I love that show. And I'm like, oh, yeah cool what do you think of the new host and they're like well i haven't listened for a few years and i'm like what you can't say you're a big fan get back in there huh that's right get back in the we ring we got some new fresh voices and i don't think i think people can just get kind of bored with the same old and then you got the, all of these awesome podcasts coming out for the catholic world so oh it's crazy what up loyal fans love you 
thank you for sticking with. Go thank you. go promote it. Maybe we'll leave it up to the fans. You go hit the share button, and the, I, that's about all I know. <laughs> <laughs> like, subscribe, share. Like, subscribe, hit that, hit that bell or something. <laughs> I don't know what people say stuff like that. Okay, and then my other shout-out is Mark DeSantis, who I met at Mass. It was the same thing. He came up after Mass. He's from Atlanta. He was just in town in Denver. And then I was... Is he pre- running for president? That's that what I asked him. <laughs> That's Ron DeSantis. It's not the same guy. And I think he said something like his name is Portuguese or it comes from different line. I don't know if he was trying to distance himself very intentionally <laughs> or just saying it's a different thing. Anyway, he was cool and he said that he listens to the podcast. And um, yeah, welcome to Denver. I hope you loved the cathedral. They're, everybody loves the cathedral. It's so beautiful, our cathedral in Denver. It is. It's kind of quaint. Place. Awesome. All right. Well, well you have Mike. a wonderful Lent, dude. Is it really 40 days? People ask me that. I never remember. It's six weeks. It's a little bit longer than 40 days. Uh, okay. I think it's like 40 days, excluding Sundays and then the Triduum. All right. But I would have to go back and count for sure. For sure. But something like that. All right. Well, do great good. Amen. Repent and believe in the gospel. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs>